Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopech, down here once again at the beautiful Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, located right inside Total Turf Experience here in Pittman, New Jersey. Doc, I got to tell you, man, with the weather like this, we got to start having uh, these podcasts outside. That's a phenomenal idea. In, in a few weeks, I'm pretty sure uh, Neck of the Woods is going to be uh, putting their outside tables out. and Maybe we got to do like a remote location out there. We got to see how many extension cords we have. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Yeah, you're that right. would be a perfect you're right. setup. Right. Hey, with, uh, you know, we've been kind of theming uh, the weather getting nicer and we've been talking about running golf, things like that. And, oh, so uh, nice. Right, you know, um, but hey, the uh, NBA playoffs are starting tonight. And Very exciting. Yeah. One of the, you know, one of the topics that we were talking about was with a former Philadelphia athlete. It's close to home. Right. So. Former Philadelphia 76er star Ben Simmons, um, now with the Brooklyn Nets, but yeah. uh, out with a herniated disc. And uh, you brought in a guest that's been with us before. And Heck I've, yeah. I've said it before, right? I, this podcast is great because it's getting me some face-to-face time with some of these doctors I don't get to see a lot and yeah. someone that I wish I saw a lot more of. One of my favorite guests, man. Funny guy, super smart, tough wrestler. <laughs> Welcome back, Dr. Bob Greenleaf. Gentlemen, uh, Jason C., thanks so much for having me back. Thrilled to be here. All right. Let's get it going. It's been a couple months, right? We had you, I think it was like during the summer, we were talking about some spinal cord injuries, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spinal cord injuries. Uh, the um, uh, fourth gentleman, the young uh, guy in the, yeah. the Philadelphia Flyers yeah. organization that yeah. coming up through spinal cord injuries. So uh, he's doing well. I, I happen to have, have some insight on him, and mm-hmm. he's uh, he's getting back into life. You know, every oh, that's day terrific. Is a little bit... Um, you know, a new challenge for him, but he, he's doing well. Uh, I work with the Adam Talaferro Foundation, and uh, right. we actually just uh, approved and got him uh, some awards and some uh, some more equipment to, for him oh. to train with at home. That's so fantastic. Heck yeah. He's right on top top of my uh, head. Yeah, we were just talking about him last week. Not that we're going to go down this whole road, but it's such a good organization, and you're a critical part of it. Um, can you remind us, and we talked about it when you were on the last time, a little bit about the Adam, the Adam Talaferro Foundation. Yeah, sure. No, I was happy to uh, to uh, the plug the foundation, Adam Talaferro, just uh, one of the greatest guys on earth. If you're ever looking for an inspirational story, go no farther, look him up. Uh, you know, a standout athlete at Eastern High School back in the uh, late 90s, went to Penn State, had a spinal cord injury his freshman year, playing against Ohio State, partial tetraplegic, quadriplegic, uh, had surgery, did uh, amazing rehab at McGee Rehab, and came out, started this foundation to raise money and support for uh, not only other athletes and and folks who sustain injuries like he did, but also to uh, uh, educate athletic trainers, do medical symposiums. Uh, we put on a football clinic, seven-on-seven uh, seven football game at Eastern High School in the summer to raise money to... Um, Get supplies for for these uh, these victims of these injuries, things like uh, wheelchairs and um, bed sh- bed, bed uh, shower commodes and other devices they need. So great foundation and uh, always looking for support from the community. basic stuff that they need that they can't always acquire or or you know to at least help them get this and, and, and yep, reduce absolutely. the burden on them. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The, these. Uh, these patients come out of the hospital. They come out of uh, places like McGee, phenomenal institutes, but they have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and so their lives their lives are turned upside down. Yeah. And, uh, everyone everyone in in their life, uh, their lives are turned upside down, and they're not only facing all the social struggles, but all the financial burdens too. So that's the goal for us to to support them and, tonight. Sorry, and for all our certified athletic trainers that are listening, you guys have a uh, one of the symposiums that you mentioned, right? That's coming up May tenth. Uh, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. I think I, I read four CEUs and th- there's a great panel of, of speakers and you're one of them. Yep. Thank uh, you very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that plug, Jason. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Come up in uh, second week in May and uh, most trainers around South Jersey have been involved with it before. We've been doing it for about 10 or 12 years. It's uh, uh, like I said, just one morning for CEUs mm-hmm. and it's a uh, great education. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, hey. Bri- I'll give a big plug to uh, Kevin Bryles. Actually, oh, the man. Uh, yeah. Awesome. yeah, he's the man. He is the man. Uh, we just gave him an award last uh, Thursday uh, for a professionalism award from the foundation and McGee because he's given uh, just tirelessly uh, committed to the foundation, not only with uh, the medical symposium, but with the um, with the football event, like I mentioned. So Kevin, Kevin Browles down at Delsey, uh, here, here's uh, cheers to you. You know, you're the man. Right. Yeah. 
And that, that was definitely more than just a plug on my, on my part. I mean, I'll, I'll be one of the uh, people in attendance virtually, you know, as the, the right. whole event's virtual, right? If I it recall, is a, yeah. completely virtual. Right. I think yeah. next year we'll be able to get, get yeah. back in person. It's yeah. just, you miss something when you're in, yeah. when you're not in person. We, yeah. we used to do hands-on spine boarding and knee exams and shoulder exams and a lot of, a lot, a lot of really cool we'll stuff. We'll get back to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and we say, and then suddenly, you know, the last couple of weeks, you know, take a little turn right. backwards. Of but look, we'll I think a year from now, uh, we're hoping we're in the right place, right? But tonight's show, not quite as severe, not quite as somber as as, as mm-hmm. spinal cord injuries in general. Still, you know, we got a spine surgeon. I'll be honest, I'm yeah. not sure how we haven't gone down this no. road before. Pretty common, because like we thought, injury, yeah, it, pretty it, common it stretches scenario. well beyond athletics too, right? You know, but totally. Um, you know, I got to admit, I, I was one of those people, whether I was just blinded as a 76ers fan, but I, I did think, and I probably came out and said it to friends, family, that I, I thought Ben Simmons was going to be a generational player. Yeah. You know, and I just thought, um, you know, he was the next coming of the next big thing. And, boy, after that playoff disaster in, in 21. What a turn um, for I, the I finally just I, I didn't say I, I didn't think he was a good player, but I just I finally admitted to myself that he wasn't the right fit here in Philadelphia. Right. So, you know, to continue in the offseason, September of 21 comes around and he reports that he's done playing with Philadelphia. He requests a trade. He's not going to report to training camp. October of 21 comes and. You know, the team has to start fining them for not showing up to the training camp. Mess. Withholding of salary. Um, and it also come, comes out that, you know, he's suffering from this mental illness. And maybe that's something we touch on later. But yeah. it, that's kind of when that all starts coming out. Much more touchy um, subject, for and sure. And then, you know, November through January, it's just it's just more of the same thing. You know, he's being a detriment to the team. He's getting kicked out of practice. And then the, the trade happens. February 10th, That you know, they swap James Harden. Uh, with Ben Simmons, you know, Simmons is off to Brooklyn and everyone starts wondering about that mental illness is where is this something he's going to suit up for? Right. Not too long after the trade happens, we start hearing start hearing about that he's dealing with this low back issue. The and, next episode. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that now he's now he's sitting out because of that. And I think Dr. Greenleaf, you and I had talked about the possibility of, you know, him being deconditioned at the time when he got to Brooklyn. And, you know, I had read some reports, not sure how official they were, but. Mm-hmm. You know, when he was holding out, he was holding out. And then all of a sudden he was not necessarily at the trade, but he was starting to ramp things up more aggressively in preparation and started having these back issues. But we now know that he has a herniated disc, as you know, Steve Nash of the you know, Brooklyn Nets reports. And, and that kind of led us needing to bring you down here uh, to kind of talk to us about what that means. Sure. Yeah, well. We'll do everything we can tonight to try to figure this out. Right. You know, if, if we can figure out everything yeah. there is to know about bad backs, right. then we'll accomplish a lot tonight. It's like a, like curing cancer. <laughs> well, any anybody out there that's um, that has a quote unquote bad back uh, can probably relate to uh, relate to Ben Simmons because it, it's the kind of thing that if if things go wrong, you know, it affects what you do every day. It doesn't matter it's what you do. Terrible, right? Yeah, can't stand, can't sit, can't lie down. You can't like, sleep. Yeah, you can't everything. do it. You can't drive. You, you can't go to work. I mean, it's it's Constant it, between it and the common cold. It's the number one reason for lost productivity in, in the world. Wow, having a bad back is just a big deal, uh, and it starts anatomically. You know, our we were designed. We can go back all all the way back in our ancestors. You know, hundreds of millions of years ago, we're designed to be on four extremities. You right. Know, to front, to back, and and that took the weight off of our back. And at some point along, we decided we want to get a little taller, and we stood up, and then suddenly we have this flimsy little lumbar spine. Um, and I, you know, I tell patients this all the time: they're like, "Why is my back bad?" I mean, I j- just think about the the anatomy of it. You have this big, heavy, thick pelvis with these big, giant muscles around your pelvis. You Speak this, for yourself, buddy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> relatively. <right. laughs> And then you have this big thorax, you know, you have your big rib cage and your heart and your lungs. You have these two big, heavy, rigid things. And then you have this little tiny flimsy little column of five little bones sitting on five little cartilage spongy discs. And you and you really expect that to not like give way and start to slip and move and be a problem long term. So it was it was definitely a, a downfall of our, you know, of our social evolution deciding to stand up on two feet. And we and we pay for it all the time. You know, not only me and Steve and Jason, but professional athletes. It's herniated discs, and professional athletes are—they've been around for 
eons, right? So Larry Bird had herniated discs and right. had surgeries, had fusion. Mario Lemieux had right. surgeries back in the 90s and came back and won you know, a million games and was a Hall of Fame. You know, and you go all the way through Gronkowski, Romo. Prominent athlete after prominent athletes, athlete. Yeah, baseball yeah, yeah. players, you know, everybody. Uh, and there's a lot of literature out there on, on herniated discs in, in professional athletes. There's a there's a, a, a physician named Wellington Sue HSU, so he spells the last name. He actually did probably the best little piece of literature out there in professional athletes with lumbar disc herniations, and ultimately who, who ended up having surgery. This is actually specific to have surgery. We'll we'll talk about non-surgical treatment as well. But he did a meta-analysis of all the studies that are out there, and and he found that somewhere in the low to mid 80s of these professional athletes were able to get back to their pre-injury level of play. So. Low to mid-80s, not 100%, not 50%, mm-hmm. so a pretty good number. Right. But the problem with these studies are, it, it, again, it's a meta-analysis. So it's it's right. a combination of about 18 lousy little studies of <laughs> seven or eight tennis players here, football players here, baseball players here, right. and trying to throw all this information back and to get numbers. But we still it's still the best literature we have, so we still throw it out to people. I mean, I mean going back to the non, non-college, non-professional athletes, uh, you know, regular people do this too, and regular people consider themselves to be high-level athletes. And they'll, their first question will be, "When can I get back to the gym? When when can I start playing basketball again? Right. When can I get back on the pickleball court? When can I start playing golf again?" And we throw these numbers around. We say, "Look, within you know a certain amount of time." Again, back to Wellington Sue's studies, they quoted between 2.8 months and 8.7 months was the average when professional athletes could get back. So if you kind that's of say, the average, that's the range. Two point eight to 8.7. So it's a, it's a big number, <laughs> right. right? It's, it's a big a number. It's a huge disparity. So you say numbers. three to nine months, and that's getting right. back to professional sports. So if you estimate, if you just round it off, say four to six months, and it even made a difference between between sports too, because you think about the physical demands of these things. If you're a six foot six, 370 pound tackle or guard or somebody mm-hmm. playing football, their numbers were a little worse. Their percentage returns were worse. Their how long it took to get back was worse. You don't say. Whereas baseball players, yeah, they got back a little bit quicker. You know, yeah, they could take some more time off. They weren't putting quite the same demands. Also, a little surprising given the torque of a swing and whatnot. But yeah, but yeah, no, absolutely. And and you can train that torque, that strength, but you're not just you don't have the weight of somebody else on top of you. You know, right. You're, somebody's not tackling you or another 350 pound person jumping on top of you. So the baseball players have that luxury. If we get down on to sort of the, the basic anatomy, biologic level, right? The last time we were on, we were talking about spinal cord injury and and a little more of a somber topic, like like pretty devastating stuff. How is a spinal cord injury different than a herniated disc? And also how is it different in terms of how it manifests? Like symptoms? No, No, absolutely. And it's, First off, the most the, the key difference in the anatomy is with a spinal cord injury that the spine doesn't. There's the actual spinal cord starts at the brainstem, so at the bottom of the, of the of the brain, goes down through the cervical and thoracic spine, and then the spinal cord itself ends at the top of the lumbar spine. The number we call about L1. So L stands for lumbar, and then there's five of them from the tailbone up. Five, four, three, two, one. Uh, the analogy I give to people is. Where the spinal cord is, imagine you have a Ziploc bag uh, filled with water and you have a banana inside, like a peeled banana, like a soft banana, like a real structure inside there. So it's a banana all the way from the top to the bottom down to the lumbar spine. Down in the lumbar spine, it becomes what we call the cauda equina. Okay, so and that's that's a fancy Latin term for horse's tail. So if you think of a horse's tail with little fibers of hairs hanging out, that's what the cauda equina looks like. Down there, you you picture a Ziploc bag full of water with angel hair pasta floating around it. Right. So if you poke on that Ziploc bag of water and the angel hair pasta in there, what happens? The angel hair pasta floats away, doesn't get injured. Sure. If you poke the banana inside that bag, you bruise the banana and bad things happen from that. So, right. So that's why in the, in the lower back, it's the collection of little nerve. We actually call it nerve rootlets. Mm-hmm. So down in, low, in the low back, you have the disc. So remember we talked about the anatomy and how we all we have all that motion, so much slipping around and moving around. So, obviously, we're going to use uh, food analogies with everything. Here. <laughs> so, so the discs are like a jelly donut. Every spine surgeon, everybody that's done any type of specialty training in spine has used a jelly donut. Analogy. Sure. So, 
The disc is like a jelly donut. On the outside, it's the dough. It's the bread that holds the jelly in, and on the inside, it's obviously the jelly. So if you put a jelly donut between your hands, and, you, and I'm doing like I'm picturing it here, which patients would would uh, relate to, but you guys can't see this. You guys will see this. Yeah. But you put a jelly donut between your hands, and you kind of don't really move your hands too much. Maybe you just wiggle your fingers around a little bit. That jelly donut's going to do just fine, and it's going to last forever. Yeah. But if you move your hands too much, if you squeeze and you push and you pull and you move around too much, and that could equate to lack of core strengthening and having tight muscles and just kind of bad luck, genetics, mm-hmm. which is you know a whole different topic, that jelly donut gets squeezed and pushed and pulled, and guess what? That little hole that the uh, the baker used to put the jelly in, that's a weak spot in the disc, and suddenly jelly starts to shoot. So jelly squeezes out and shoots out on the table. Now you have a herniated disc. Mm-hmm. So when that pinches and pushes on the nerve roots, it is capable of causing the worst pain of your life. Yeah. 12 out of 10 pain. Worst pain ever, <laughs> worse than childbirth, worse right. than kidney stones, right. worse than anything in the world. Like right. I, I tell people that that they experience this pain. I mean, go back and, and picture Tiger Woods, you know, crawling around on all fours in the right. middle of the fairway, like hitting the golf ball and just immediately going down to his knees and literally crawling on all fours. Unrelenting, severe. W- worst pain, worst pain you can imagine. And, yeah. and whenever, you, you know, and I'm, you see, we'll, we'll see like, uh, it's, this is a classic story. You'll, you'll see like a female patient come in saying I have sciatica and then you'll see the man over there mansplaining and saying, yeah, I, I had I had sciatica once for three years straight. I just worked through it. Yeah, you, you roll your eyes and say, "Look, buddy, you, you didn't you didn't have sciatica. Like, yeah. Sciatica is you don't. I don't care how tough you are, who you are. You, you can't walk at all. You may it's, have had musculoskeletal back pain. You had some spasms. You had a bad low back, whatever. But you didn't have sciatica. Right. Sciatica is as bad as it gets. So you don't walk it off, no matter how tough you are. It's it's the worst pain, worst worst pain you could ever ever really ever go through is nerve pain. Sure. Um, so when you get that nerve pain that runs down the leg, that's where it gets, you know, it gets fairly complicated because there, there's a lot of ways you can get pain down that leg. One would be if the piece of jelly coming out of the jelly donut physically put pressure on the nerve. So right. everything in the body relies on blood supply, no matter what it is, your eyes, your head, your brain, your nerves. You know, if I put my hands around your wrist and I squeeze a little bit, you get annoyed and say, get off my wrist. If I squeeze too hard and your fingers turn blue, you panic because you're losing blood supply to, right. to your fingers. Same thing can happen with the nerves. If they're being physically pressed and the blood supply, the little microscopic arteries and veins get cut off to those nerves, the nerve quits working. That's manifested as pain, numbness, weakness, can't move your foot, trouble, foot drop, yeah, bad things. So that's the physical pressure on, on the nerves. The other side of it can be inflammation. So if you herniate a disc, you get a tear in that little disc, the, yeah. little, the little hole out the jelly donut, that releases a cascade of events. Proteins, acids, all this nasty stuff gets released from the disc that the nerve's not used to seeing. The body sees this injury. It says, oh my goodness, we have a we have a an insult down here. Somebody's attacking. We have to yeah. send all these cells down there, these red cells, white cells, these interleukins, all these things we forgot from inflammatory cytokines. Inflam- there you go. Yeah, exactly. From second year of med school. Right. So all these acids and proteins and nasty stuff go down that we think is going to help. Yeah. And it, it just irritates the nerve. Makes it worse. The nerves are the nerves in your back are no different than your eyeball. Your eyeball is made up of little nerve cells. And yeah. those travel back into your brain and down your nerves. So I tell people it's just like if you if you rub your eye, get a little piece of dust or dirt in your eye. Mm-hmm. If you're eating some spicy food and you happen to rub your eyeball, what happens? Your eye burns like hell. It gets yeah. red, it gets inflamed. It gets swollen, it gets big and puffy, all that from like this little slight irritation. Right? Granul- so that, like a little piece of dust. Yeah, a little piece of dust can get in there. Not, nothing big and mechanical, just that inflammation. So that's where your body can, uh, can be doing more harm than good, and that's inflammation of a nerve root. That's where epidurals sometimes can help. When right. You put in the steroids. What is an epidural? Yeah, so an epidural steroid injection, something we do very, very commonly. Uh, we have interventional pain management doctors typically do these, uh, physical medicine rehabilitation doctors, interventional radiologists do, a lot of different doctors do it. Uh, and what this is, it's a steroid. It's a steroid injection, which is a potent anti-inflammatory. It's like taking your Motrin or Advil or Naproxen or aspirin, grinding it up, putting it in the chemical form and putting it right around the nerve root so it gets rid of that inflammation. It's telling the body, hey, we don't want all these cytokines and so those inflammatory cytokines are causing the issue, but the steroid there, anti-inflammatory, 
back off. Tries to block those off, exactly. So you don't get all that inflammation around them. So again, it doesn't take that mechanical pressure off of the nerve root, but it can cut down on that inflammation, which right. sometimes is part of the problem. And that's the hard thing to figure out. Right. You know, is the problem all that mechanical pressure on the nerve cutting off the blood supply? Or is that is it that inflammatory problem that's causing all the swelling like your eye that gets big and red and swollen and puffy? Those are the people that do well. When it's the puffy inflammation thing, those are the people that do well with epidural steroid injections. You know, as per the sort of MO of the show, of the podcast, you know, when we're at our best, I feel like we're talking about an athlete and we're talking about an injury. And that's the launching pad to, for a discussion about that particular problem. You know, and I feel like with, with herniated discs, and I'm actually shocked. I'm shocked that we haven't gone down this mm -hmm. road sooner because I feel like we could have such a common problem. Time. It's yeah. a common problem. Um, but you often don't hear about it because you don't want to, if you're a pro athlete and you want to keep your contract and yeah. you want to get bought by the next guy, you don't want it to be public knowledge that you've got a lousy back. Bad back. Bad which back. Maybe, maybe Big trouble. Specifically if Ben Simmons comes into, yeah. how did he pass all the physicals? There? More to come. More to this? come. Yeah. We, we can get into a lot of detail, I think, about the different types of herniation. You know, is it a herniation? Is it a protrusion? Is it an extrusion? And it might be a worthwhile conversation, maybe getting a little bit too into weeds um, in, in terms of that particular issue. Bringing it back to Ben Simmons, and the reason we went with Ben Simmons, right, is because, you know, like, traded to the Nets. We're, full disclosure, we, record, we typically record the show on... Tuesday evening, so it's Tuesday the twelfth. We don't know. We don't think Ben Simmons is playing today, tonight. He did not. No, he's he did not, not playing tonight. Right, right, right. But maybe on the cusp of playing. Right. Reports are he could be back in the first round. Right. You know. And we don't have access to his medical charts. We don't know which kind of herniation he has. Let me ask your thoughts on how do you differentiate? Right. Are you going to try a shot? Are you going to try surgery? What goes into that decision-making process? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great one, Steve. Thanks for asking that. So yeah, simple, quick, easy. Right. So <laughs> sorry. You know, yeah, and it's it it is the um, I don't know what to what to relate it to what a, how generic question is because and, and there's no right or wrong answer. But if you bring on a chiropractor on the show, they're going to say surgery is never the right answer. You, right. you should do manipulations, this type of thing, and that type of thing. And, and they're not necessarily right. I mean, there's plenty of surgeons that are way too aggressive. Physical therapists will say, we need to do traction. We need, we need to make room for the nerves, work on core strengthening. Right. Acupuncture is going to have their say massage. A ton of different measure. options here. Yeah, there's a million different options. And I, and I think that's the direction that Ben has kind of gone. I, I think my, my gut deep down is he's had these back issues for, for a long time. And, and I think the what we're kind of skirting around and, and what we're saying is and, and jason what you got to before when he was sitting out in philadelphia he wasn't staying right. in shape he, he wasn't he wasn't keeping the core strong he wasn't running he wasn't you know keeping both mental and physical he wasn't staying sharp and then um you know maybe he tried to ramp it up once he realized he was going to get a trade and and maybe again maybe the mental health component came in we can talk about that too but he got up to brooklyn and said all right you know i i want to try to I'm in a new atmosphere now. I want to try to prove myself to this team. And he right. tried to jump up, you know, in a matter of a few weeks. And guess what? His back said, look, you know, you, you've been sitting around. Hey, buddy. I'm bad. I, I'm, yeah. I've got a bad disc here. And you try to run and jump and play and do this this type of stuff that we haven't been doing All recently. those video games are a lot of fun. Might yeah. be coming back to haunt you yeah, a bit ex now. Exactly. So he, he wasn't quite ready. I think it flared up his back. Uh, and, you know, getting an epidural, the, that was kind of a surprise. I think it was there in mid-March that he, he had that epidural when he's down in Florida. Uh, and that didn't really come out for a few weeks. That was kind of a, I don't know how it's, yeah. it snuck out or whether. It was a couple of weeks after he got the Brooklyn. Right. You know, or like a, he maybe got the close, epidural. To, close to a month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Wait, he, it, got, he got the epidural close to a month after getting to Brooklyn or yeah. the news after, came out? Oh, uh, no. He got the epidural about a month after getting the Brooklyn. Got it. Okay. But then okay. it was even a little bit of time after that that we even heard about exactly. it. Exactly. Right. Because I think they, they wanted this. Yeah. Right. They wanted to sort of cover that up because that's obviously it's a, it's a media frenzy. Like what the hell's going on? Like it like it did turn out. And, and I don't think that's I think that's one of two things. I think that's either 
he felt like he was like 90, 95% and he wanted to make this run uh, into the playoffs. And he said, look, I just want to, you know, like the stories you hear about the NFL players and the, and, you know, at halftime, you know, all the time, you know, let's get a quick steroid Just shot. Or let's shot. numb this yeah. up. Get or, me out there. Yeah, exactly. Numb it up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and get me out there. Right. Just like you said, Steve, maybe that was the plan to just take the edge off so he could get, because that's one of the things you say about epidurals. How long do they last? Well, I tell patients anytime from zero time for to forever. Right. Which is. Isn't that amazing? As vague as could be, right? Right. But, but actually, it, not even that. So sometimes it makes people even worse. Yeah. They, they hate it for two weeks. They go back to being miserable. And then so that's like a negative response. Right. Some people get an epidural and you never see them again. And yeah. Fantastic. So it's that's such it's all the over the map, all over the map with the same herniation, the same type of person, everything. Why can't we figure this out? It's such a common problem. It's, you know, it's so variable. So I think back to Ben, um, I think this is either trying to improve things enough to be able to make a run in like a week or two because that right you tend to say you know two three weeks for max effects or uh it was a kind of a hey my back's bad and i'm in desperation phase and mm-hmm. i think then it becomes a the season is unequivocally washed. Because if we, if we do surgery right now, then I'm definitely done. Oh. But why not just try this? And try this to a little desperation. There's yeah. really there's really no downsides to the epidural injections. There's a, like a 0.1 risk of infection if you get too close to the nerve. Like if you use poor technique, which obviously anybody doing Ben Simmons' epidural probably wouldn't we're, be using poor yeah. technique. <laughs> you know, there, there are some microscopic complications that can come up, but it's really a, a no, no lose situation. As far as a complications perspective comes out. If I can go back a little bit, you talked about that pain scale where patients will report to you uh, 12 out of 10 pain. Are, are there levels of, of disc herniation? And then could that could correlate to the pain scale? Or is, is it disc herniated? It's, her, it's herniated and therefore there's going to be pain involved. Yeah, so uh, maybe Jason, what you're talking about, like... You mean like different levels in the spine, low to no? I guess I really meant like um, how severe? How severe? How like, you know, is, is it a first degree strain in the hamstring versus a second degree strain in the hamstring? Yeah, I mean, it's, or is, is a herniated disc a herniated disc one way or another? Right. Well, I I think the like a hamstring strain is oversimplified too, like one, two, or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Because yeah. it's one right. one and one right. seven. Yeah. Two yeah. Or three. But, uh, you know, there, there are so many different types of herniations. Is there uh, minor, minor herniation? Yeah. However, you know, however you would classify. Yeah. You know, there are super minor ones that you look at the MRI and you think, I don't see any problems here. Mm-hmm. And the patient's got 15 out of 10 pain. And right. They never walk again. Again, it's, it's back to that, the anatomy, the little microscopic arteries and veins and how they're affecting the nerves mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, what clinical symptoms they're bringing up. Cause you could have, I've seen patients with the biggest herniations in the like I've ever seen. It's like mm-hmm. a, there's a golf ball inside their spine. And they're doing all right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You probably wouldn't know what a golf ball looks like. You <laughs> like your eyes closed. I miss, every time I miss you try to play golf. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But you, you look at their MRIs, you know, you always try to pregame a little bit before you see patients the night before and you look up their scans and everything. And you, and you look at this and say, Jesus, I, this person should be in the hospital and they're not coming to my office tomorrow. And they walk in, they're totally fine. They yeah. have like minimal pain. And I, I'm checking the name on the chart and saying, is this really you? Yeah, right. you know, I have a little bit of back pain. There's some and symmetry the, there with cuff tears, honestly. What the hell? Yeah. Right. But, huge tears. You, you, you don't see how they can pick their How are they functioning like this? Yeah. Right. 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 But exactly. not to throw you off track. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like cuff tears are the same as the back. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, the next person comes in with a, a herniation smaller than a P, and, and it's just in the exact right spot, uh, right on the nerve root. The nerve, the anatomy of the of the nerves coming out of the spine are complex, too. They, they branch off of that, you know, bag of um, a spaghetti that we talked about, and they can they go into little small, little bony corridors. They're called foramen. It's a Latin, Latin term for windows, so little windows where the nerves come out. And they're very small windows to start with. They're the exact size of a nerve. They're designed to... You know, for only a nerve to allow the nerve. Right. So if if you put something the size of a pea in there, and there's no more room for the nerve, that's going to cause excruciating pain. So it's going to be an incredibly painful experience for that patient. This takes us down a little more of a controversial road. 
you know, just, just to kind of get your thoughts on it and any potential connection. And while Ben Simmons was here in Philadelphia, there was, there was, and we, we've talked about, we've, and, and, and we've done other shows on it, kind of the depression in sports, the psychological aspect, oh, yeah, the sport, to you. and there's yeah, a big connection. So what are your thoughts on this particular issue? Is there a connection between the psychological component, um, feeling of pain, management of pain, back pain and and and, and i hate to speculate because we don't have the details on ben simmons and what was going on on that level but just in general is there is there a connection there that that the kind of mind body back pain connection yeah no steve it's it's a very intelligent point you bring up i'm not surprised um (laughs) but but you're the point you made there too about not knowing what he's going through Right. We can't jump in there and we, we can't we can't know what it is. We don't know what his MRI looks like. We don't know what his herniation looks like. Right. We, we haven't been there with the mental health stuff and everything he's going through. So but but to your point in in general, mm-hmm. yeah, that that connection between pain and not only not only acute pain, uh, like a sciatica herniated disc, but chronic pain. Yeah. And the, the primitive centers in our brain that control anxiety, depression, the fight or flight, they're, they are so hardwired, hardwired connected. Now, every brain's a little bit different. Right. You see Buddhist monks that can be set on fire and sit there and, and not flinch an eye. You know? And then the next... Scary, extraordinary. True. That's one end of the spectrum. And the next person stubs their toe... They may be on chronic narcotics, that type of thing. They anxious, depressed, and the, and it's a world, you know, changing event. Right. Um, but it, it's it's a incredibly fascinating area. The the primitive brain, the fight or flight centers. You know, we were all we were all once in a while going going back to when we we're all on all fours and our back was in bad shape and we were designed to be bending over. Go back a billion years before that, we all had a primitive brain meaning we needed to survive and we were constantly being either eaten or you had to eat something else right. that's the fight or flight and there's there's some more f's that come after that my wife is she's correcting me on that a few times fight or flight is a it's a primitive way of thinking of the primitive brain right but um well said well said we can't wait to get her on too yeah, we tried no, previously right, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna work together uh, she'll make again. us all look silly. i know yeah, i know we just yeah but you know the, that circuitry of the brain where all those crossroads come in together that include pain, anxiety, depression, phobias. That's all right there. It's all right, right. there. It's a, our primitive brain. So if we were lizards or reptiles, it wouldn't be, we'd either run or bite, run or bite. Right. That's it. But as smart humans, we have this big forebrain that we have learned to try to control those things. And that's why we're able to sit around here. If you get insulted, you can make a joke out of it. Yeah. Like that. Like I do all night. Exactly. (laughs) Some people can as well as others and they start to cross over. So chronic pain and, and we're, we haven't mentioned that at all with Ben tonight. We're talking about his herniation, but he probably has chronic issues here. I mean, this isn't the first time he's had a back problem. Right. 16 and 18 and 20 when he was coming back, when COVID hit, he was, Remember, he was having a really good season, and then he's back. He had back spasms again, sciatic again. He he missed a lot of time you and, there. You and I talked about that before we started yeah. recording, and it, it kind of just flashed back, right? Like pre-COVID, and I'm exactly right. what you said, right? It was, right. boy, uh, these two weeks off because of this virus that's going around. Boy, that's really going to set up Ben well for the playoffs, and we obviously didn't know that. No idea, we're well, going to be shut down. Yeah, but, what was in front of us? I, I, I did completely forget about that until you and I talked earlier this evening. And I was like, man, you're right. Like, he started really being dehabilitated from that. And it was like, you know what? These two weeks that we're going to take off, it's going to be perfect. He's going to come back and playoffs will start. And Yeah, because right around then, Embiid was, I think, yeah, hurt too. It was, he was out. time. Right, yeah. And Simmons was like carrying the team. They're yeah. like, wow, this is, this is great. Once yeah. they get healthy again. Little did we know. Yeah. Right, two years like, later. Yeah. Right. We had a time machine. We, right? We'd be talking about a resurgence recently. And, right. You know, but yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, the, the point there was with the chronic pain thing. I mean, it's clearly Ben's back is not, it's not a good back. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. To go back to Tiger Woods, which is, you know, it's very public if you're Tiger Woods of the golf course and you skips a tournament, it, 
it's not like skipping a game. I mean, everybody skips games once yeah, in a while. Yeah, I'm a little sure. tight, I'm a little sore, whatever. If you skip tournaments, that's a big deal. Right. If you fall over on all fours on a golf course, that's a big deal. And right. you start having surgeries and everything. Ben's back's probably not that dissimilar to Tiger's back. So is it, there is a connection, and it, albeit hard to quantify, between anxiety, maybe an OCD or, or, some, or depression, and level of pain perceived with these particular issues. Now, granted, there is something mechanical actually happening. Like, we're not discounting that, but there is that sort of difficult to quantify interpretation. What's possible to quantify? And quantify is like probably the, the wrong words, qualify. Qualify, so, sorry. Right, so again, it's the one person, you know, the example we always give is if you're on chronic opiates and narcotics and you're depressed and you're anxious. The pain and thermostat changes. And your dog just died and you're getting divorced and your kids don't like it. And the, all those things are happening. Um, you stub your toe, you hit your knee there or right. you have a minor surgery. Lose your mind. You're going to have 10 out of 10 pain for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't use Steve because you're probably, Jason, you probably yeah. have a higher threshold than Steve. <laughs> you do the same type of thing, you know, you rub it off and, yeah. you know, and you're fine. Yeah. So, right. so that, that's kind of the extreme example, but they're, they're all connected. Now, no, no way, again, we, we don't know what Ben's going through. No, in no way am I saying For sure. he's, he's making it up or he's, he's a sissy. Yeah, and he's without question. That's not tolerance. the implication. Yeah. Right, but, right. but there's, it's hard to, it's hard to ignore. There's gotta be some connection there. Right. And you can't fix one without the other. Right. And, and that's the other thing, too. You, yeah. you can't say, oh, you should do some therapy and physio and get an epidural and you'll be fine. Right. You got, if there's a mental health yeah. aspect there, too, that that's probably more important to get fixed. I, I, I am by no means. That's a bigger piece of the puzzle. Sorry. I'm by no means, a, you know, sort of an eating specialist or eating disorder specialist. But there is that similar connection for... Not disordered eating, but true eating disorder presented with food. It it it, it takes someone, it takes a person who has that disorder, disordered wiring. It takes them to that place, right? Like they're presented mm -hmm. with food, and for whatever reasons, it's incorrectly wired into that system. That fight or flight, that panic, terrible response, and that's why this is a strong response to food. It's very interesting to hear that in terms of a connection to pain, a connection to the back pain and whatnot right. um, and, a, and not a very easily corrected system how do we rewire and we're, we're, we're honestly we're getting off topic here right like that's it's not the and, and it's probably right. topic for another topic, but show but where we're going to bring such in interesting stuff such yeah, interesting stuff the same thing i mean because right. we you know we, we I, I say this all the time too they're like my kids you know you know why do we oh, why do all we want a steak and like cheese and right and fatty things and sugar, you know, why do you think? It's because we evolved to never see that stuff. Yeah. And our mental, our primitive brain said, whenever we see steak or meat or fat or sugars or something bacon. sweet, bacon, yeah. right, we have to go nuts and we have to do everything we can to get that and absorb that and get into our body and store right. it in our cells. And that's how I'm gonna live long. Yeah, right, we're sick. What do we see all, all darn day? We see plants and roots and oh. water and right. nuts and things like that. So that's boring. You know, yeah. we, we don't want to eat that stuff. It's too easy to get. So. There's a lot of people who will, will crush us for these particular comments, but there's, there might be some truth. No, they're, well, they're, no, they would have totally agree with us. Because we're just saying why, what's wrong with the human diet and everything else. Right, right, right. And then we need to try to figure out how to get us to that side. If, if we uh, just took a step back and took out the mental health component just because there's so much uncertainty Which, right we, we don't really know a lot about potential right? future right topic well let's get yeah, back to the basics yeah. here right, right, right. Um, we don't I, know nothing about it. one of my questions would be ben simmons or the everyday person with a l4 herniation maybe we didn't even touch that i think it's confirmed that ben had an l4 herniation yeah i, th I think the, something or maybe not confirmed but that's what's at least speculated it was the the i think on most of the social media it's an yeah. l4 disc okay which is a dumb thing to say because yeah. there's no such thing as an l4 disc it's right. an l4-5 uh -huh. disc yeah. there's l4 no, 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 no. yeah but but the common common knowledge yeah. seems to agree it's probably an l4-5 disc herniation. so how would ben simmons and or an everyday patient with that confirmed diagnosis present mm -hmm. to you in terms of symptoms or how they present in the ortho room? 
Yeah. Well, is they, it just I have back pain and they point to an area? Or is but, there other things that you pick up? Well, it's, it's a whole spectrum. It's, yeah. it's, you could have you get a predominantly back pain. So there's two sources of pain, right? So you herniate a disc, mm-hmm. so there, there becomes a hole in that jelly donut. Mm-hmm. The, the disc is, a, again, a, a very, it's a trick on our anatomy because the disc itself, the annulus, which was that lining around the disc, it's the dough around the disc, it has very few blood vessels. So therefore it has very poor ability to heal and repair, but it has lots of nerves in it. So it's annoying, right? So you get little tears in there. It causes pain. Those nerves relate pain back to the back of the spine and to the muscles, and you get spasms in your lower back. So, so you can you can rupture a disc. A lot of times, a radiologist called an annular tear, and that can cause pain across the lower back, and that's severe low back pain, severe back spasms, and 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 they are they are severe. That that's the story of your buddy that spent three hours on the bathroom floor right. all through the night and calls you at six o'clock in the morning says hey you know i'm finally willing to call you can you call me in a steroid pack and some muscle relaxers you know I'm, i want to try to get to work in an hour so that's the disc injury that's the low back part mm-hmm. when it involves the nerve that's the sciatica down the leg yeah. and that's what goes down the butt and the thigh what's the technical term for that radiculopathy right right so, we were testing you. I yeah, think. <laughs> right. So radiculopathy, yeah. yeah. And each nerve root at each level goes in a certain place. And the, the higher lumbar nerves go down more in the upper thigh. The lower nerves, L5, S1, S, L for lumbar, S for sacrum, the lower ones, they're the ones that go down to the toes and the top of the foot and the bottom of the foot that we that we typically associate with, with uh, sciatica, which is the generic term because of the sciatic right. nerve. Uh, the, the way you think about the nerves coming out, I would say it's like the, and see we're like to this, uh, you know, being out in Pittsburgh, the uh, sciatic nerve is like the Mississippi River. Mississippi. The Mississippi. Yeah, but what contributes? So the L4, L5 nerves are like the Allegheny, the Monongahela, <laughs> the uh, Ohio River that feed into the Mississippi River. So right. sciatic is the Mississippi. Sure. These other rivers, they feed into the Mississippi, and, yeah. and they're the nerves that go down and contribute to coalesce to form the sciatic well said. nerve. Well said. Exactly. So, so if you pinch one of those, you're going to have that pain shooting down, down the leg. That's where a lot of the important conversation comes into with the treatment plan for those, those types of patients. Because one of the general truths in spine surgery is if you draw a line across the belt line, anything above that belt line, hard to fix. That's something you, you give time and anti-inflammatories and heat and stretch and aspercream and Bengay and Icy Hot and everything else that's out there. Maybe some injections, but surgery is really, really lousy at fixing that. Pain below the belt line, pain in the butt, pain in the leg, pain down down to the foot, that's easy to fix with surgery. Or even epidurals or steroid injections, those are effective at, at fixing that pain, so. The patient comes in and says, look, I never get sciatica, nothing, nothing in the butt, nothing in the legs. It's all chronic back pain. Mm-hmm. I say, you should not be in a surgeon's office. Yeah. I'm not going to operate on you. You can go down the PT, street. You'll probably find somebody that practice. will operate on you, yeah. but you probably won't do well because we're not good at fixing back pain. Mm-hmm. We're good at fixing nerve pain, which is the pain down the leg. And, and that's the other thing with Ben. We, mm-hmm. we don't know what he's dealing with. We don't. It, we is don't it know back pain, it's spasms, or is it? I, I have a feeling it's more the back pain stuff because... Again, if he had said, because you see him kind of floating around on the bench. He you looks know, pretty good moving around. Whatever, exactly. Right. Now, if you've seen anybody with truth, you know, full on sciatica. Doesn't look like that. They don't do that. <laughs> they're curl up in a ball somewhere. Right. I mean, they're, they're not walking around. The, the non-surgical approaches to the treatment of this is what I'm assuming Ben has kind of ventured down that path. Right. So he's gotten the epidural. You and I talked about Dr. Greenleaf about all these kind of reports and videos that we saw of him with his uh, athletic trainers, with his, what I assume to be strength and conditioning coaches or, or personal trainers. They, a, lot, a lot of just strengthening, you know, I think even Steve Nash came out and said he, he had the epidural and he's really been focusing on strengthening the uh, the legs. I, I think it's what Steve said, strengthening the legs. Core in the legs. Core yeah. in the legs. Yeah, that's what it was. You know, are, are those your approaches and what are the important, the, what is the importance to those? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, any, anybody, uh, again, there are those red flags, the, mm-hmm. the bad signs where somebody comes in with a foot drop, if they mm-hmm. have a profound right. weakness or profound numbness or loss of bowel and bladder control. We talked about that cauda equina thing before. Right. So th- those are the ones you can't ignore. But that, that's like a one in 
one in 50, one in 100. Uh, most of these patients, you send to physical therapy, you get them in with a therapist that really wants to take their time with them, working on core strengthening, you emotionally work with the patient, you know, they say, look, we can get you better, it's not gonna happen overnight, this could right. take four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, but we'll get you better. Right, frame of mind does help. Yeah, it, it, no, it's realistic expectations, right? So that's not just true of surgeons. You know, yeah. if, if I if I went in every surgery that I'm going to do a back fusion on, and I said, "Look, you're going to walk out of the operating room and feel like you're 16 years old again," I I'd get How zero patients. Patients, yeah, people yeah. wouldn't come back because everybody would rate me a zero out of ten, yeah. and I'm the biggest. Under delivered, yeah, right. So realistic expectations. You know, with those fusion patients, you say it could be a year. You're going to be better in the long term. It's going to take time. But with physical therapists too, you say, "Look, this is." a long-term treatment thing you you have you again you go back to that tear in the disc and everything else you say look this has to heal it's going to take a long time to heal so the physical therapists you know we, we lean on them a lot mm -hmm. and i and I, I won't lie to you too i mean i i send these people to chiropractor and acupuncturists all the time i mean sure. i have this spiel that i say look physical therapy is what we seem to know the most about and they do the traction they do the modalities like heat ice ultrasound tens units that type of thing but chiropractors, they're not going to hurt you. I mean, if it's 89-year-old grandma with severe osteoporosis and cord issues and things, then I say, Careful. Eh, yeah, right. You probably shouldn't go there. But chiropractors help plain people. That physical therapist can't help. They certainly help more people than I help. I help like 200 people a year. Chiropractors help 1,000 people a year. So, mm -hmm. I, so I send a lot of people to chiropractors. And even, again, acupuncture. I mean, I, it's Something enough. to it. Don't quite understand there, it. There Something is. to yeah, it. Yeah, right. And I'm, I'm probably like, you probably like quoted me last time I was here because that's what I say too. You know, I, even if it's back to that mental point, you know, the the power of the mind and mindfulness and mental control, I mean, that's more powerful than anything. If, if I had a sugar pill that would make all your sciatica go away, I would never operate on you. And I would take it. I would charge you an unlimited amount for my sugar pill. But, but if it made everything better, then do it. So... I, and I, I've tried to figure out so many times, being watching podcasts and YouTubes and right. research and everything, like, what does acupuncture work? And then you probably try to figure out the same thing with all the worth people. Right. What does it work on? Who's a good candidate? Who's a bad candidate? Is it psychological stuff? Is it mental stuff? Is it the medications you're on? Like, why does it work well and some people not together? Right. But I, but I tell them all to try it. Sure. And try all those things. Uh, and then I'll say, get in with my interventional pain management partners. You sure. can talk about epidurals and try the cortisone shots. And, and of course, they say, well, what are the likelihood of those helping? How long is it going to last? And I say, again, what I said before, zero to forever. Zero to forever. And if it doesn't work, then you'll be back to see me. Right. And then my parting line is always the cheesy dad line. Hopefully, I never see you again. Right. Giggle and say, yeah, yeah, I agree. In most cases, I don't see these people again. I'd say one in 10. But if you they need to, you're there to help him. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. So, so some of the non-operative things: um, physical therapy, chiropractic, acupuncture, anti-inflammatories. Sometimes a steroid pack for this particular issue, but they fail everything. They're going to go down a surgical route, right? Like, like you've kind of gone through the whole process, and unfortunately, they still have the pain going down their leg and whatnot. What are the, are there multiple surgical options? What? How do you can, approach this? Can I ask a question before yeah. that? Um, th that is my next question as well. But also, he wants to state it better. <laughs> no, no, no. It does. To add on to that, uh, how long do we try those non-surgical? Oh, is sure. Uh, so yeah. the, the, to piggyback off of that, too. Right. You know? Yeah, that's a great question, too. And uh, and, and patients who ask that, too. And, yeah. and, and as always, I'm humble enough to say I don't know the right answer. But yeah. I tend to tell patients no more than six months mm. from the onset of pain and symptoms to, to when you kind of have to... You're at that crossroads of I'm either going to try to live with this and maybe it becomes a permanent thing or, or do something surgically. There, there's a little bit of literature behind that. There's studies that say that it, it's not even a an anatomical, physiological, or EMG type of thing. It's studies show that the results from discectomy surgeries tend to start to go down if the symptoms have been there for more than six months. Mm. Okay, meaning we think it's because. And that's where we get into the mental part of it, too. Right. We, we think maybe there starts to become permanent changes in the nerve. There's, mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to use the, the term nerve damage. I hate to say the term nerve damage. But maybe permanent change in the nerves. And maybe permanent changes psychologically, too. Yeah. Like if you Accepting the this, pain and feeling the pain. And you're going to feel it for the rest of the life. Yeah. You, you, you've put up with this. You've, you've done the, the fancy term for, is behavioral modification. You've, mm -hmm. you've said, look, I just know I can't walk more than 100 feet now without sitting down. I have to limp. I have to do this and that. 
you've accepted that, you know, you can go in there and do a perfect discectomy. And if your brain still says, this is how I'm going to live my life, that patient's going to say, eh, I don't think I got a great benefit out of the surgery. So, so I, again, I usually throw out that four to six months mm-hmm. and that's, those are with the more it's good piece mo- of information right there. More yeah. the, but that's with the more moderate pain type of situations. As we talked about before, no human on earth is going to put up with yeah. true, severe, severe rip-roaring right, right. sciatica pain for six months. They're going to either chop their leg off or come in and force you to, to operate. <laughs> Go so, in another direction, right? Yeah. So that's the yeah. you, that's the yeah. timeline. Right. Surgical, yeah, so surgical options. Yeah. So surgical options. So in in vast majority of cases, and over the last 10, 15 years, we've developed more and more minimally invasive options, either with the tubes or endoscopically using the microscopes to uh, to avoid fusions on, on these patients. It's the type of thing that, I don't know, 20 years ago, you know, we do full laminectomies and, and, and a lot of very invasive procedures and the open incisions and three, four incisions. So we, we have a lot more minimally invasive options now. So again, the two, basically the three options are kind of a mini open, which is the way we sort of did it 20 years ago, a tube, which is a little, again, a little cylinder, about two centimeter diameter tube that we put down uh, using the, the microscopic loops and everything or endoscopically where it's smaller incisions, looking at the, at the screen, like we do shoulder and knee surgeries. All of them can achieve the same results the less invasive we tend to say slightly less blood loss but the change is from small to a little smaller to mm-hmm. a little smaller so not very much a lot of studies show that between all those surgeries the results at a year and two years and five years aren't a whole lot different mm. so it's more about what you're comfortable with as a surgeon yeah um, I would say anybody that's trained in the last 15, 20 years is going to use a relatively minimally invasive mm-hmm. surgery to um, to these types of approaches. Well, there, there's there's a lot of talk about lasers and things like that. There's not lasers have a role in a lot of uh, processes in the body, like fixing the eyes and things like that. As far as back surgeries go, you know, lasers don't really have a role, and it. it's more of a, in some cases, minimally invasive. Uh, pain management approach, but not not to removing discs and things like yeah. that. So, so after they go through the surgery process, and th- there seems to be a lot of decision on your part of what procedure to go with. But what is their recovery like? Initial or mm-hmm. recovery might be the wrong word. What are their first couple no, days, we- days, weeks, months like for them? So again, every patient's a little bit different, but. You, you tell patients your your back's going to be sore. I, I say you're going to hate me for a week or two because your back's going to be sore rolling over in bed, going from lying down to sitting up, you know, those types of things. You're going to feel your back muscles. But the, the nerve pain, that's the beautiful thing about these surgeries. And in spine surgery, we do a lot of, I'm digressing a little bit, but we do a lot of, the, I feel like the more important, important spine surgery we, we work on, we talked about spinal cord issues before, is taking the pressure off the spinal cord because mm-hmm. those are conditions that can end up paralyzing you, putting you in a wheelchair, that type right. of thing. Those are kind of non-rewarding surgeries because those are patients that had a lot of problems going on. You take the pressure off the spinal cord, they come out, they don't feel a whole lot different. They, they're not high-fiving and jumping up and down and recovering. Yeah, is, is there a big, like, kind of taking taking the pebble out, of, pebble out of their shoe kind of a feeling? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, good analogy. So, yeah, these patients... The first time they stand up, they they don't have that 12 out of 10 searing pain down their leg, you know. And as they start to walk around more, like like I said, they start to complain to me and they start bitching and moaning about their low back pain. But if you redirect <laughs> them and say, "Well, how about that leg pain?" They say, "Oh, oh. my goodness, oh, it's so much oh, better. I'm so happy. I'm so happy." And then I say, "Well, stop complaining about your back pain." But those first couple of weeks, you know, you're sore, you're icing your back. Mm-hmm. Most patients are taking a couple of painkillers, couple of muscle relaxers for the first week or so. Um, by two weeks, you're, you're mobilizing more. You're starting to go back and doing some more stretches. You're walking further. Six weeks, getting back to the gym and starting to exercise again. And uh, I, I usually tell people three months until it's like nothing ever happened and you're, you're back getting after it. Kind of like what we talked about a while ago about the professional athletes. You know? So yeah. three months is probably about the early side of, of when pro athletes can return to their, their pre-injury level of play rate of re-injury i mean is that a concern following yeah. surgery i mean is that something he has to be 
I say he, I, I, we, we, Brent Simmons didn't People have surgery, but is that something they have to worry about uh, after surgery is the rate of re-injury? Sure. Yeah. And, and we, and we call it re-herniations because, mm-hmm. um, again, back to that jelly donut analogy. So that weak spot mm-hmm. and, and that's a, a tough conversation, too, because it's, it's like the, you know, the doom and gloom of the whole thing. And right. they say, all right, I'm going to feel better and everything. Yeah, yeah, six weeks, three months, you're going to be super happy. But remember, somebody took a big bite out of that jelly donut that allowed that jelly <laughs> to shoot out. And that, yeah. that doesn't, it's not the same thing. The other analogy, I, I know he's all these annoying analogies, but if you blow your car tire out, you, know, you have a big blowout and you put a little patch in it and everything else. And you say, look, you can drive your car now, but if you go 95 and you hit a high hard bump or something, good chance that thing could blow out again. I mean, that's a weak spot in your disc. So there's always a chance that that weak spot in the disc because normal anatomy, if you, if you do an MRI of every, now there's always exceptions, of course, but every 10, 12 year old walking down the street, mm-hmm. they're going to have a real thick, border of that jelly donut. Like the dough is going to be like thick. Don't even think about jelly donut, like an inch thick. Mm-hmm. So it's a thick annulus, we call it. Like that jelly donut is well controlled inside there. Some Tiny people, bit of jelly off a lot of donut. Off a lot of donut, thick, heavy donut. But in some people that, that donut just thins out real quick and it just gets thinner and thinner and thinner. And the jelly starts pushing out more and more and more, and the vertebrae start compressing down more and more and more. Those are the people with bad, and I alluded to it earlier, just bad genetics. It's their their collagen, their fibers, you know, everything, their proteins inside those discs, they're holding this together. So there are people that, there are patients I see in their 20s that if they're in great shape, they're mm-hmm. the whole extreme. They're vegans, they drink a lot of water, they don't smoke, they're they can plank all day they they do everything right and and they have these horrible looking backs you know and the next person comes in and is a degenerate smoker construction worker say what you want about jason times and and, right right Uh, and and they're just not taking care of their back at all and they have this pristine looking back like they probably did when they're 10 12 years old and that's the exciting stuff it's not exciting, obviously, for, for a patient with a bad back. But what are the differences there genetically? When I went up, when I was up at Mass General, I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago, but we're starting to look at genetics of that. Like the people that we had to do disc herniation surgeries on, we're putting a needle in, pulling some of the tissue out, and trying to figure out what the heck's wrong with this person that's 35 years old and had a disc herniation, and they had this problem, you know, to try to figure out again genetically why super they interesting failed. man did super you interesting. did you start to, to figure any of that out because we see that over Absolutely and over not. and over again no, right no. yeah yeah like 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 some people's tissues are just softer and gooier some people are very hard right. like like hearts like like a, it's hard to cut their skin because because their, their skin is so hard right, like right. It's, it's, it's incredible the difference in the collagen and, and the collagen makeup is that structure. common right common, right right common denominator right and, but then the hard thing is, I mean, we're, we're just decades figuring it out. So if you figure out the genetics of what makes somebody have a That's bad That's associated with that. Right, right. Associated with that. So what do you do? If you gain that knowledge, what are you going to start to do? Are you going to start to test Gattaca. six-year-olds? Right. How their discs look. And right. if they have bad discs. Genetic manipulation. Start, right. Bad news. Are you going to start putting stem cells in <laughs> right, it right, and right, stuff right. like that? It's a... It's just such a it's a it's a challenging place. I don't know how we ended up talking about that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. actually much more interesting than Ben Simmons' discrimination. Uh, so bringing it back to Ben Simmons, then, like the right, the critical question is, as as we're beginning to wrap it up, right? The critical question: It's Tuesday. They have their playing game. We don't know how the game has turned out. Where the you know the bar was packed when we first walked in. We've completely cleared it out, unfortunately. But the bar was packed when we the brewery was packed when we walked in. Um, we're talking about uh, this particular injury. The game is certainly not over. We know Ben is not playing, but we don't know what's happening next. We don't know if they're playing again. Um, if they win or they lose, and if they're gonna have to play again to get in, Brooklyn's up twenty right now, so it looks they're like they're probably in. The in. <laughs> so, so maybe they're in for the first round. Yeah, is Ben playing? What are your thoughts? What's your prediction? I say no way. Like, wow, I say no way. No, I, I think he's like what we talked about before. I, I think he's too deconditioned to be in shape to be ready to go. Yeah, but is it? Is there still a factor of where Kyrie can play? Like what, he, what, he's what, playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's playing. But, like he can play everywhere now. He's I, believe, like I think so. Yeah, so unless, New York like, is allowed, in, although that might they, change again. Yeah, right, unless they, right. you know, rechange right. or right. not re- unless they change that again. But yeah, yeah. 
So I would. Do you think that factors into the decision process? Him playing, Kyrie playing. No, yeah. Is, if Kyrie plays, are they like Ben? You got to play. If you, if Kyrie isn't playing, are they leaning on Ben to play, or is it strictly like, hey man, can you play? And if we got him, great. And if you don't, you don't. I would say, and again, totally the wrong person. I have no reason answering this, but I would, you know, knowing Nash and, and Durant, Kyrie, how he can play, and how that chemistry has to have evolved mm-hmm. somewhat over the last. Right. And it was uh, kind of like yeah. that was a, it was a half season of, of like Durant trying to carry the team and them yeah. trying to support him everything else. Man, can he do it though? To He's throw to throw a, a total knuckleball back in there. Like right. That. Like how can you expect him to perform and be right right away? I think he's going to play. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be the contrarian. That's um, good. Yeah, you would say that. Sure. Sure, sure. Yeah. A question I, that the to finish up with as well that kind of entered my mind as this conversation went on is would would you be surprised if Ben has off-season surgery? I wouldn't That's at all. That's a big question. Yeah. And, you know, it's like uh, what I, whatever happens in the playoffs we, we we're not going to know, but uh well a few weeks from now but I mean would you be more or less surprised if you found out that Ben had off-season surgery come Brooklyn being eliminated from the playoffs and or winning the championship in June getting mm-hmm. off-season surgery yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all mm-hmm. again the hard thing not knowing is that we have I, we have right? so little so, information so little on this. Yeah. I yeah. would be surprised it's if he a guess. didn't yeah. the big question would be did he talk to Steve Kerr or not mm. why do you say that don't we bring it up to too long topic of that? But in summary. So remember Steve Kerr, you know, obviously the coach yeah. Warriors sure. and everything else. Yeah. Remember, so he is he's kind of the black guy of of discectomy surgery. Mm-hmm. So remember, he he had a herniated disc, he had sciatic, he had this whole thing we talked about, trying yeah. all the non stuff, everything else. Had what was thought of as a successful disc uh discectomy, removal of disc, but he had an incidental what we call dural tear. Oh yeah. So remember, so I, maybe I didn't read. Yeah, no, I did. So the Ziploc bag uh, full of water with the uh, with the nerve roots coming through with the banana. angel hair pasta. Not the banana, but the angel hair pasta. Further down, sorry. Ziploc bag is maybe a bad analogy because Ziploc bag seems pretty tough. And yeah. It's hard to tear that. So imagine a water balloon that you stretch beyond stretching yeah, like yeah. it's about to blow up. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is what I tell people when you do these uh, surgeries. It's like you took a piece of chewing gum, you stuck it on that water balloon and you let it dry there my job is to try to peel all that chewing gum off that water balloon and sometimes you can get a little hole in it and then the fluid can start leaking out yeah so that's what steve steve kerr had when he had his discectomy surgery back you know, close to eight ten years ago yeah uh and he had a dural tear so he had a fluid leak and when, when that happens you get the headaches spinal headaches everything stand up you get headaches and uh, vision changes those types of things and he had a horrendous several years of oh, it. So he had to have really? multiple surgeries. Two, three years he wasn't on the bench because he had these headaches. Yeah, for this simple back surgery. Yeah. And he actually went he actually went and this is where it's kind of the black eye thing. He, he he was actually a very vocal public advocate against getting any type of spinal surgery. Yeah, and surgery. that adverse outcome. Saying right? I had a I understand where he's coming from. And, and you know and he tempered a little bit saying Please, before you do it, try everything else because right. bad things can happen. And, and he's like a one percenter, but he's a very public one percenter. But unfortunately, yeah, yeah, he's a very public one percenter. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, so and, again, and, and, if Ben is a close friend of Steve Kerr, right. he ain't never ain't happening. Right? But, but, and that's why you talk about the risks, right? Like, and I think sometimes it gets dismissed when you talk about risks of surgery. But the reason we talk about the risks of surgery is because, as infrequent as those risks may come true, if they do, if they come true for you. That's thanks. They're catastrophic for you. Absolutely. Here we are, uh, slightly over an hour of recording. Yeah. And uh, we had kind of, before we started. This is a quick show. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, 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 before we started, we even talked about how far we get into the mental health side of things. But yeah. I think this is probably where we should wrap it up. But yeah. then also, kind of what we talked about, right? Let's see how the, the Nets progress. Yeah. Let's see if Ben Simmons is any way involved in that. Right. And then maybe we can bring your wife down and uh, 
maybe really just have an episode. We're, we're the two of you, because that's what the Adam Talaferio Symposium is going to include, right? Like she, a combination. She, she might need a rose and a formal invite. Right. That'll work. Um, we can yeah. do that. She'll, she's, yeah. uh, she's, I don't know if we can match her wit, but we'll do our best. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, maybe we could have a uh, like really a purely discussion, maybe less focused on the on the disc of the, and you know and on the mental health side of things. Right. Mm -hmm. Tricky stuff, though. It's hard. It's hard to talk about, and it's it's challenging. Right. Um, but it's important to acknowledge. One hundred percent. More and more all the time. Absolutely. Like the, yeah. The yeah. role that's especially that that plays in sports, and, and we were already talking about soccer and all these. Yeah. Simone Biles, like the highest level there Big is. I mean, she's stuff. maybe the greatest athlete in the history of human beings. Right. And, and she's the one that finally gains attention. Right. But we we're sitting here in this facility, and we see nine, ten, eleven, twelve year olds running around. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not immune to yeah. them either. So oh, it's right. something that but needs to be addressed. It's great when it becomes a little more accepted and addressed, right? Correct. Well, that's the, you know, and, it's, and I think Jenna, Jenna Reed, and I'll give her a plug now. Too, sure. You know, one of her podcasts. We had her on. That's what she, she has said. She's like, my husband is an orthopedic surgeon. If anybody twists their knee in two seconds, they call him and say, my knee hurts. Can I get help with my orthopedic injury? Right. If she has friends that have mental health problems and they're anxious or depressed, they they feel weak. They feel embarrassed. They hide it forever. They will not say anything about it. So yeah, that not that right equation needs to needs to change. Yeah, Dr. Greenlee, can't thank you enough for coming down tonight. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. Welcome back. Three weeks. <laughs> Great to see you, man. Of course, you know. Thanks, guys. You're doing a great job. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks. Love man. the podcast. Keep it up. Before we go ahead and close out our tab for tonight, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Reconstructive Orthopedics, with our focused on you approach in eight locations covering all of your orthopedic needs. You could also find us at reconstructiveortho.com. You can find ways to uh, get an appointment with Dr. Frey and Dr. Greenleaf. They got our, uh, our number on there. Uh, the Energy Lab, the region's premier sports performance destination. Neck of the Woods, of course, for hosting us each and every week, located right here at 614 Lambs Road. Brian Pitman, hooking Jersey. us up. Brian, once again, two weeks in a row, coming through with the uh, the in-recording in beer. Didn't even have Mid to get up. show delivery. Yeah, really came in clutch there. And as always, our good friends at Timber Real Productions. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll catch you guys soon.